Chapters 15 and 16 of The Pawn's Count by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter 15 Pamela opened her eyes the next morning upon a distinctly pleasing sight. At the foot of her bed was an enormous basket of pink carnations. On the counterpane by her side lay a smaller cluster of twelve very beautiful, dark red, Glory de Dijon roses. Attached to these latter was a note. "'When did these flowers come, Leah?' Pamela asked the maid who was moving about the room. "'An hour ago, madam,' the girl told her. "'Read the name on the card,' Pamela directed, pointing to the mass of pink blossoms. "'Mr. Oscar H. Fisher,' the girl read out, with respectful compliments. Pamela smiled. "'He doesn't know, then,' she murmured to herself. "'Get my bath ready, Leah.' The maid disappeared into the inner room. Pamela tore open the note attached to the roses by her side and read it slowly through. "'Dear Miss Van Tail, I am so very sorry, but the luncheon we had half planned for today must be postponed. I have an urgent message to go south, to inspect, but no secrets.' It's horribly disappointing. I hope we may meet in a few days. Sincerely yours, John Lutchester. Pamela laid down the note, conscious of an indefined but distinct sensation of disappointment. After all, it was not so wonderful to wake up and find oneself in New York. The sun was pleasant, the little puffs of air which came in through the window across the park, delightful and exhilarating. Yet something had gone out of the day. Accustomed to self-analysis, she asked herself swiftly what? It was, without a doubt, something to do with Lutchester's departure. She tried to face the question of her disappointment. Was it possible to feel any real interest in a man who preferred a government post to the army at such a time, and who had brought his golf clubs out to America? Her imagination for a moment revolved around the problem of his apparently uninteresting and yet, in some respects, contradictory personality. Was it really her fancy, or had she, every now and then, detected behind that flamboyant manner traces of something deeper and more serious, something which seemed to indicate a life and aims of which nothing appeared upon the surface? She clasped her knees and sat up in bed, listening to the sound of the running water in the next room. Was there any possible explanation of his opportune appearance on the night before with a dummy pocketbook and a concocted story? The cleverest man on earth could surely never have gauged her position with Fisher and intervened in such a manner at the psychological moment. Yet he had done it, she reflected, gazing thoughtfully at Fisher's gift. If, indeed, he knew what was passing around him to that extent, how much more knowledge might he not possess? she felt the little silken belt around her waist. At least there was no one who could take Sandy Graham's secret from her until she chose to give it up. Supposing for a moment that Lutchester was also out for the great things, was he fooled by her attitude? If he knew so much, he must know that the secret remained with her. Perhaps, after all, he was only a philanderer in intrigue. Pamela bathed and dressed, sent for her brother, and to his horror insisted upon an American breakfast. "'It's quite time I came back to look after you, Jimmy,' she said severely as she watched him send away his grapefruit and gaze helplessly at his bacon and eggs. 
you're going to turn over a new leaf, young man. I shan't be sorry, he confessed fervently. I tell you, Pamela, when you have a thing like this hanging over you, it's hell, some hell. You just want to drown your thoughts and keep going all the time. She nodded sagely. Well, that's over now, Jimmy, she said, and I meant you to listen to me. It's more than likely that Mr. Fisher may find out at any moment that the mysterious pocketbook which came from heaven knows where is a fake one. He may be horrid about it. While we are on that, Van Tail interrupted, I couldn't sleep a wink last night for trying to imagine where on earth that fellow Lutchester came in and what his game was. I have a headache this morning trying to puzzle out the same thing, Pamela told him. He seems such an ordinary sort of chap, Van Tail continued thoughtfully. Good sportsman, no doubt, and all that sort of thing. But the last fellow in the world to concoct a yarn. And if he did, what was his object? Jimmy, his sister begged, let's quit. Of course, I know a little more than you do. But the little more that I do know only makes it more confusing. Now, to make it worse, he's gone away. What, this morning? Gone away on his government work. Pamela announced. I had a note and some roses from him. Don't let's talk about it, Jimmy. I keep on getting new ideas, and it makes my brain whirl. I want to talk about you. I'm a rotten lot to talk about, he sighed. She patted his hand. You're nothing of the sort, dear, and you've got to remember now that you're out of trouble. But listen, hurry down to the office as early as you can, and set about straightening things out, so that if Mr. Fisher tries to make trouble, he won't be able to do it. There's my check for $89,000 I made out last night, before I went to bed, she added, passing it over to him. Just replace what stocks you're short of, and get yourself out of the mess, and don't waste any time about it. His face glowed as he looked across the table. You're the most wonderful sister, Pamela. Nonsense! I ought not to have left you alone all this time. And besides, I'm pretty sure he helped you into this trouble, for his own ends. Anyway, we are all right now. I shall go to New York for a few days before I go to Washington. When I do go, you must see whether you can get leave and come with me. That's bully, he declared. I'll get leave right enough. There's never been less doing in Wall Street. But say, Pamela, I don't seem to half understand what's going on. You've given up most of your friends, and you spend months away there in Europe in all sorts of corners. Now you come back, and you seem mixed up in regular secret service work. Where do you come in, anyway? What are you going to Washington for? She smiled. Queer tastes, haven't I, Jimmy? Queer for a girl. That's prejudice, she objected, shaking her head. Nowadays there are a few things a woman can't do. To tell you the truth, my new interest in life started three years ago, when Uncle Theodore found out that I was going to Rome for the winter. So Uncle Theodore started it, did he? She nodded. That's the worst of having an uncle in the administration, isn't it? Well, of course, he gave me letters to everyone in Rome, and I found out what he wanted quite easily, and without the inquiries going through the embassy at all. Sometimes, as you can understand, that's a great advantage. I found it simply fascinating, the work, I mean, and after three or four more commissions, well, they recognized me at Washington. I have been to most of the capitals in Europe at different times, with small affairs to arrange at each, or information to get. Sometimes it's just been about commercial things. Since the war, though, of course, it's been more exciting than ever. 
if i were an englishwoman instead of an american i could tell them some things in london which they'd find pretty surprising it's not my affair though and i keep what information i do pick up until it works in with something else for our own good i knew quite well in berlin for instance to speak of something you heard of that henry's restaurant in london was being used as a centre of espionage by the germans that is why i was on the lookout the day i went there you mean the day that pocket-book was stolen that the whole world seems crazy about van tail asked she nodded i believe it is perfectly true she said that a young man called graham has invented an entirely new explosive the formula for which he brought to henry's with him that day it isn't only what happens when the shell explodes but a sort of putrefaction sets in all round and they say that everything within a mile dies there were spies down even watching his experiments there were spies following him up to london there were spies in henry's restaurant when like a fool he gave the thing away fisher was the ringleader of this lot and he meant having the formula from graham that night i don't want to bore you jimmy but i got there first bore me the young man repeated why it's like a modern arabian nights i can't imagine you in the thick of this sort of thing pamela it's very easy to slip into the way of anything you like she answered i knew exactly what they were going to do to captain graham and i got there before them when they searched him the formula had gone fisher caught my steamer and worried me all the way over he thought he had us in a corner last night and then a miracle happened you mean that fellow lutchester turning up yes i mean that pamela admitted say didn't that jap fellow get the pocket-book from your rooms at all then van tail asked i couldn't follow it all last night he searched my rooms pamela replied and failed to find it afterwards when he and i were alone in your sitting-room heaven knows what would have happened but for the miraculous arrival of mr lutchester whom i had left behind in london come to pay an evening call in the hotel plaza new york van tail shook his head slowly got up from his seat lit a cigarette and came back again ham he confessed my brain won't stand it you're not going to tell me that lutchester's in the game why a simpler sort of fellow i never spoke to i can't make up my own mind about mr lutchester pamela sighed he helped me in london on the night i sailed in fact he was very useful indeed but why he invented that story about nikasti brought a dummy pocket-book into the room and helped us out of all our troubles unless it was my sheer and brilliant instinct i cannot imagine let me get on to this van tail said even the pocket-book was a fake then she nodded i shouldn't be likely to leave things i risk my life for about my bedroom she told him where is it then the real thing he asked she smiled if you must know jimmy she confided dropping her voice it's in a little compartment of a silk belt around my waist it will remain there until i get to washington or until mr haskell comes to me haskell the government explosives man pamela nodded even he won't get it without government authority now tell me pamela van tail went on you're a far-seeing girl i suppose we should get it in the neck from germany some day or other if the germans won why don't you hand the formula over to the british and give them a chance to get ahead that's a sensible question jimmy and i'll try to answer it pamela promised because when once the shells are made and used the secret will be gone 
I think it very likely that it would enable England to win the war. But, you see, I am an American, not English, and I'm all American. I have been in touch with things pretty closely for some time now, and I see trouble ahead for us before very long. I can't exactly tell you where it's coming from, but I feel it. I want America to have something up her sleeve, that's why. You're a great girl, Pamela, her brother declared. I'm off downtown, feeling a different man. And, Pamela, I haven't said much, but God bless you, and as long as I live I'm going as straight as a die. I've had my lesson. He bent over her a little clumsily and kissed her. Pamela walked to the door with him. Be a dear, she called out, and come back early. And Jimmy— Hello? Put things right at the office at once, she whispered with emphasis. Fisher hasn't found out yet. I sent him a message this morning thanking him for the carnations and asking him to walk with me in the park after breakfast. I shall keep him away till lunchtime, at least. The young man looked at her and at Nikosti, who out in the corridor was holding his hat and cane. Then he chuckled. And they say things don't happen in New York, he murmured as he turned away. End of chapter 15 Chapter 16 an elderly New Yorker, a man of fashion renowned for his social perceptions, pressed his companion's arm at the entrance to Central Park, and pointed to Pamela. "'There goes a typical New York girl,' he said, "'and the best-looking I've seen for many a long day. You can go all around Europe, Freddy, and not see a girl with a face and figure like that. She had that frank way, too, of looking you in the eyes.' "'I know,' the other assented. "'Gibson's girls all had it kind of look which seems to say, I know you find me nice, and I don't mind. I wonder whether you're nice, too. Pamela strolled along the park with Fisher by her side. She wore a tailor-made costume of black and white tweed and a smart hat, in which yellow seemed the predominating color. Her shoes, her gloves, the little tie about her throat, were all the last word in the simple elegance of suitability. Fisher walked by her side, a powerful determined figure in a carefully pressed blue serge suit and a brown homburg hat he wore a rose in his buttonhole and he carried a cane both unusual circumstances after fifty years of strenuous living mr fisher seemed suddenly to have found a new thing in the world this is a pleasant idea of yours miss van tail he said i haven't disturbed your morning i hope she asked i guess if you have it isn't the way you mean he replied You've disturbed a good deal of my time and thoughts lately. Well, you've had your own way now, she sighed, looking at him out of the corner of her eyes. I suppose you always get your own way in the end, don't you, Mr. Fisher? Generally, he admitted. I tell you, though, Miss Van Tail, he went on earnestly, if you're alluding to last night's affair, I hated the whole business. It was my duty, and the opportunity was there, but with what I have I am satisfied with reference to that little debt of your brother's. "'Please don't say a word, Mr. Fisher,' she interrupted. "'You will find that all put right as soon as you get down to Wall Street. Tell me, what have you done with your prize?' Mr. Fisher looked very humble. "'Miss Van Tail, he said, "'for certain reasons I am going to tell you the truth. Perhaps it will be the best in the long run. We may even before long be working together. So I start by being honest with you.' The pocketbook is by now on its way to Germany. "'To Germany!' she exclaimed. "'And after all your promises!' 
"'Ah, but think, Miss Van Tail,' he pleaded, "'I throw aside all subterfuge. In your heart you know well what I am and what I stand for. I deny it no longer. I am a German-American, working for Germany, simply because America does not need my help. If America were at war with any country in the world, my brains, my knowledge, my wealth would be hers. But now it is different. Germany is surrounded by many enemies, and she calls for her sons all over the world to remember the fatherland. You can sympathize a little with my unfortunate country, Miss Van Tail, and yet remain a good American. You are not angry with me? I suppose I ought to be, but I am not in the least, she assured him. I never had any doubt as to the destination of that packet. That, he admitted, is a relief to me. Let us wipe the matter from our memories, Miss Van Tail. One word, she begged, and that only of curiosity. Did you examine the contents of the pocketbook? He turned his head and looked at her. For a moment he had lost the greater spontaneity of his new self. He was again the cold, calculating machine. No, he answered, except to take out and destroy what seemed to be a few private memoranda. There was a bill for flowers, a note from a young lady, some rubbish of that sort. The remaining papers were all calculations and figures, chemical formula. Are you a chemist, Mr. Fisher? she inquired. Not in the least, he acknowledged. I recognized just enough of the formula on the last page to realize that there were entirely new elements being dealt with. She nodded. I only asked out of curiosity. I agree. Let us put it out of our thoughts. You see, I am generous. We have fought a battle, you and I, and I have lost. Yet we remain friends. It is more than your friendship that I want, Miss Van Tail, he pleaded, his voice shaking a little. I am years older than you, I know, and by your standards I fear unattractive. But you love power, and I have it. I will take you into my schemes. I will show you how those live who stand behind the clouds and wield the thunders. She looked at him with genuine surprise. It was necessary to readjust some of her impressions of him. Oscar Fisher was, after all, a human being. "'What you say is all very well, so far as it goes,' she told him. "'I admit that a life of scheming and adventure attracts me. I love power. I can think of nothing more wonderful than to feel the machinery of the world, the political world, roar or die away, according to the touch of one's fingers. Oh, yes, we're alike so far as that is concerned. But there is a very vital difference.' You are only an American by accident. I am one by descent. For me there doesn't exist any other country. For you Germany comes first. But can't you realize, he went on eagerly, that even this is for the best? America today is hypnotized by a maudlin, sentimental affection for England, a country from whom she never received anything but harm. We want to change that. We want to kill forever the misunderstandings between the two greatest nations in the world. My creed of life could be yours, too, without a single lapse from your patriotism. Friendship, alliance, brotherhood, between Germany and America. That would be my text. Shall I be perfectly frank? Pamela asked. Nothing else is worth while, was the instant answer. Well, then, she continued, I can quite see that Germany has everything to gain from America's friendship but I cannot see the quid pro quo. And yet it is so clear, Fisher insisted. 
Your own cloud may not be very large just now, but it is growing, and before you know it, it will be upon you. Can you not realize why Japan is keeping out of this war? She is conserving her strength. Millions flow into her coffers week by week. In a few years' time, Japan, for the first time in her history, will know what it is to possess solid wealth. What does she want it for, do you think? She has no dreams of European aggression, or her soldiers would be fighting there now. China is hers for the taking, a rich prize ready to fall into her mouth at any moment. But the end and aim of all Japanese policy, the secret mecca of her desires, is to repay with the sword the insults your country has heaped upon her. It is for that, believe me, that her arsenals are working night and day, her soldiers are training, her fleet is in reserve. While you haggle about a few volunteers, Japan is strengthening and perfecting a mighty army for one purpose, and one purpose only. Unless you wake up, you will be in the position that Great Britain was in two years ago. Even now, work though you may, you will never wholly make up for lost time. The one chance for you is friendship with Germany. Will Germany be in a position to help us after the war? Pamela asked. Never doubt it, Fisher replied vehemently. Before peace is signed, the sea power of England will be broken. Financially, she will be ruined. She is a country without economic science, without foresight, without statesmen. The days of her golden opportunities have passed, frittered away. Unless we of our great pity bind up her wounds, England will bleed to death before the war is over. That, you must remember, Pamela said practically, is your point of view. I could tell you things, he began. Don't, she begged. I know what your outlook is now. Be definite. Leaving aside that other matter, what is your proposition to me? Fisher walked for a while in silence. They had turned back some time since, and were once more nearing the plaza. You ask me to leave out what is most vital, he said at last. I have never been married, Miss Van Tail. I am wealthy. I am promised great honors at the end of this war. When that comes, I shall rest. If you will be my wife, you can choose your home, you can choose your title. She shook her head. But I am not sure that I even like you, Mr. Fisher, she objected. We have fought in opposite camps, and you have had the bad taste to be victorious. Besides which, you were perfectly brutal to James, and I am not at all sure that I don't resent your bargain with me. As a matter of fact, I am feeling very bitter towards you. You should not, he remonstrated earnestly. Remember that, after all, women are only dabblers in diplomacy. Their very physique prevents them from playing the final game. You have brains, of course, but there are other things, experience, courage, resource. You would be a wonderful helpmate, Miss Van Tail, even if your individual and unaided efforts have not been entirely successful. She sighed. Pamela, just then, was a picture of engaging humility. It is so hard for me, she murmured. I do not want to marry you. I do not wish to think of it. And so far as you are concerned, Mr. Fisher, well, I am simply furious when I think of your attitude last night. But I love adventures. I will promise you all the adventures that can be crammed into your life, he urged. But be more definite, she persisted. Where should we start? You are over here now on some important mission. Tell me more about it. I cannot just yet, he answered. All that I can promise you is that 
if I am successful, it will stop the war just as surely as Captain Graham's new explosive. I thought you were going to make a confidant of me, she complained. He suddenly gripped her arm. It was the first time he had touched her, and she felt a queer surging of the blood to her head, a sudden and almost uncontrollable repulsion. The touch of his long fingers was like flame. His eyes behind their sheltering spectacles glowed in a curious, disconcerting fashion. To the woman who was my pledged wife, he said, I would tell everything. From the woman who gave me her hand and became my ally, I would have no secrets. Come, I have a message, more than a message, to the American people. I am taking it to Washington before many hours have passed. If it is your will, it should be you to whom I will deliver it. Pamela walked on with her head in the air. Fisher was leaning a little towards her. Every now and then his mouth twitched slightly. His eyes seemed to be seeking to reach the back of her brain. "'Please go now,' she begged. "'I can't think clearly while you are here, and I want to make up my mind. I will send to you when I am ready.'" End of chapter 16 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com